Turn to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 4 through 9 again. I want to start by asking you a question, and that is, what do you spend your time thinking about? What do you spend your time thinking about? Go ahead, take a minute, think back through the last week, and try to think of how you would answer that question. If there was one thing that stood out in your mind this last week that you spent time dwelling on, thinking about, what would that be? For some of you, it may have been fears. For others, it may have been sinful desires. Perhaps, for some of us, we were dwelling on bitterness. Or maybe revenge. Some of us may have spent our time thinking about how we've been hurt. Others may have been given over to concern over what people think of you or what people may think of you or will think of you in the future. Of course, these are all bad things to be spending our time dwelling on, thinking on. That becomes clear as we read this passage. All of these things stand in the way of rejoicing in the Lord, which is how our passage starts. They create anxiety rather than leading us into peace. They stand in the way of prayer. They corrupt our hearts and turn our minds away from Christ. But, What we're going to see here is not just that we should not be dwelling on such things. Because if that's all we learned, then we would be tempted to think that the solution to our problems is simply to empty our minds. To stop thinking entirely would solve the problem in that case. Nothing, nothingness, may seem peaceful. It may seem good to completely clear your mind. But in the beginning, God filled the emptiness with good things. He filled the emptiness with stars. He filled the empty water with fish. He filled the empty air with birds. He filled the empty land with trees and animals and plants and every good thing. And we're not to ignore those good things.
and what they say to us. But if your mind is crowded with chatter and fighting and sinful thoughts or wicked desires, yes, you must clear that out. But you must fill it again with good things. And that's what we see in our passage today, a description of what we are to dwell on. So let's stand for the reading of God's word from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So we're not just to empty our minds. This is, this is the central uh, goal of much of Eastern religion, is to empty your mind. If you've ever seen a picture or uh, a video of somebody doing Eastern mystical, spiritual meditation, you'll, you'll see them uh, in the position, right, with, the, with their hands out like this, and what is the thing that they are saying? Um, right? And, and the goal of this meditation is to push all thought, all experience, everything out of your mind, and for your mind to be totally emptied, void. Of course, there's, there's much more that could be said on that, except we don't need to go into that. Because I don't think that that particularly is a huge temptation for any of you here, but I want you to understand that those who are giving themselves over to that are not filling their minds with the things that we're called to fill our minds with here. And there are many, even in the Christian world, who have a, have a temptation to empty their mind rather than to fill their mind with good things. It takes faith to fill your mind with these things that we're called to dwell on 
here. It takes believing that they are good, that they are beneficial, that there is something to be thankful for in the first place. If you don't believe that, then the best you can hope you hope to do is to push out everything because one of the things that we realize, I think especially as we get older and see more of life, is how much there is that is wrong with the world. How much there is that is painful. How much there is that is a troubling thought. And so having become troubled, looking around us, seeing the, the, uh, seeing the sorrows of friends and neighbors and seeing the trials that many people face, seeing hunger, seeing lack of peace, seeing warfare and bloodshed. And and what more could you do if you don't believe there is anything good or anything truly to be thankful for besides trying to push all of that out of your mind, shove it down, forget it, and just empty, emptiness, think of nothing. This is not what the Apostle Paul calls us to here. You see this, <clears throat> you see this connection in verse six where it says, where he says, not to be anxious, but rather in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to let your requests be made known to God. That with thanksgiving connects down to these things that we are to dwell on because until you, until you see those things, how can you give thanks? Until there are good things, what do you have to give thanks for? Dwelling on these good things that Paul calls us to here is what reminds us how much we have to be thankful for. It's what allows us to turn to God, knowing that, yes, there are still trials. Yes, knowing that there are still sins, there are still troubles, there are still bad things in the world and in our life to turn to God with our supplications, and yet to come to him with thanksgiving. Until you bring both of those things together, there's, it's really impossible. Yes, you can go to God without thanksgiving and saying, ah, ah, the world is terrible. My life is terrible. Everything is terrible, right? And, and, and no ability to give thanks. Or you can try to forget everything and, you know, just be, pretend, Pollyanna, that everything is good all the time. I'm great all the time. I had a girl say that to me one time. How are you this morning? I'm great all the time. No, you're a liar. That's not helpful, right? 
She didn't just say that once. I heard her say it to other people, too. I'm great all the time. That's absurd. Nobody's great all the time. And it's not a fulfillment of this passage to say that. You see? Because otherwise, why would we need to be exhorted not to be anxious? There are things that are anxiety-inducing in this life, right? There are bad things. There are things that we need, that we, that we have to go to God in supplication for. And yet we can always do so with thanksgiving if we have remembered the good the good in our life, in the world, in God, in the people around us. And you say, but they're corrupt in every part. There is no thought of God in their hearts, right? I mean, this is, this is true. And yet they have been made in the image of God, haven't they? And so is there good in man? Is there something to be thankful for? Yes, there is. We begin to see uh, why Paul uses so many words to describe the things that we're to dwell on because the moment that you start uh, digging into this, you you realize how how similar a lot of these words are, how they're synonyms. If you look up if you look up the, the Greek word and how it's translated, some of them translate to English generally as exactly the same word. They're synonyms. We've, we've got synonyms. We're using some of them in this passage. Different translations will have some of the same words, but in different locations in the verse. It's, No, it wasn't the Greek that got moved around. It's just which synonym are you picking for this translation right here? But it's more than just a list of synonyms. It's also also pushing us to, to begin to see the nuances of some of these good things. So if you lack peace, if you lack anything, of course, we've already seen that we are to pray. But then he says we are to dwell on new things. We are to dwell on new things. If you don't want to dwell on lies that are causing you trouble, trouble to be troubled in spirit, to be troubled in your mind, dwell on the truth. If you don't want to dwell on revenge, because you feel it poisoning your heart, dwell on love. 
There's a wonderful piece that makes use of this same principle of pushing out the bad in your mind and replacing it with the good and not just with emptiness called, does anybody know? Yeah, we got Tom. Tom sent it to me a few a few months ago. What, what's it called, Tom? The expulsive power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. Now, what is kids? What does expulsive mean? What what is expulsive power? For Christmas, we got a couple of marshmallow guns. And you pump them back and forth, and little mini marshmallows go flying at about 100 miles an hour. Don't open your mouth and try to catch them. (laughs) Bad idea. But they are expelled. There is expulsive power. The, the air pressure builds up and it has expulsive power. And no more do those marshmallows get stuck in the barrel, but instead they go flying out and they are gone. Who knows where they are? They're all over the place. But they're not here anymore, right? That is expulsive power. But there's an expulsive power of a new affection or a new love, a new desire. And that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing the expulsive power of new thoughts, new things to dwell on, replacing those old thoughts, pushing them out. They're no longer in your mind. They're gone like those mini marshmallows. They've been expelled. What you dwell on affects you. What you dwell on affects you. Until you, until you buy that, there's no point in, in moving on and talking about what you should dwell on. You say, oh, it doesn't affect me. Well, then why does Paul tell you what to dwell on? You, you get it? He tells you what to dwell on. Why does he tell you what to dwell on? Because dwelling on the opposite of these things is bad for you. That's why. It affects you. It actually impacts your heart and your mind. I'll give you a couple of examples of this. First of all, I read an article a few months back about... Uh, Facebook content moderators. There's whole buildings of people who are paid to do nothing other than look at the content that has been reported as inappropriate on Facebook. Thousands of people have this job. And you know what? They're all messed up. Because of the job because of what they have to stare at every day, all day long. They're messed up. That's the whole point of the article is, hey, 
There's a cost to this. There's a cost to being able to filter this stuff out, and it's a cost paid in human lives that are that are being destroyed. They call it PTSD. What ends up happening if you just read the interviews with the people is that they end up sliding into paranoia, into conspiracy theories, into uh, depression, into violence. And so my recommendation to everybody in here is don't take the job. Better to, better to take a job being a logger, which is a dangerous job, right? You might lose a limb or you might lose your life, but at least you won't lose your mind. Now, you might think that, it's, that I'm overplaying the danger of the job of content moderator for Facebook. I don't know whether I am or not because I'm... Believing an article, right? I'm believing an article. But I know one thing is for sure. As I think about and, and dwell on for a, for a time what it would do to me, what it would be like to have to go through in a matter of seconds looking at images that are gratuitously violent, pornographic, and all of the worst possible things that people do in this life, I know that it would be very bad for me. I know that it would have an effect on me and that it wouldn't be good for me. Because it is not good, at best case, to be deadened to those things. To be unaffected by extreme violence. You understand? To be unaffected by these things indicates that something has gone wrong in you. If you are no longer sensitive to these things, you have lost something that you, have, that you were made to be sensitive to. These things are horrifying because God made us to feel horror at the wickedness of the world. And you know you can't sit there for eight hours a day, five days a week, being horrified. And so at best, you're deadened to it. No longer horrified by the most wicked things that people on this earth can do to one another. That's, that's a bad place to be, isn't it? You see this, that what you dwell on affects you. You see this in places like the police force as well. How many of you have ever known police officers? Gotten to know police officers, generally what you find out is that they've been affected by their work because of the things that they have to do and the things that they have to dwell on. And... It's a necessity in a way that Facebook moderator is not a necessity. 
You, you understand? We could just decide as a society that Facebook is bye-bye. We're shutting it down because the cost to society is too high and there's not enough benefit to it. <clears throat> but you can't just decide that we don't need judges or law enforcement. <laughs> and when you get to know men who have been in law enforcement, you find that they are a little bit deadened and often a little bit paranoid about people because they've seen the worst over and over and over again. On a different sort of track, engineers. Engineers, uh, especially, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of engineers, but I had a, I had a neighbor in Indianapolis who was an engineer who was often telling me that I needed to change or do things because of safety. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm just not worried about it like you are. And the reason you're worried about it like that is because you're an engineer. <laughs> you spent too much time thinking about the tolerances and the, and the risks and how things, and it's like, you know what? I'm going to keep my gas powered dryer. I'm just not going to get rid of it. Now, I'm making generalizations, right? Is that making some of you uncomfortable? <laughs> I see some of you wincing, maybe, you know? <laughs> okay, is it going to help if I say, of course, not all engineers, not all Facebook moderators, not all police officers are this way, but will you at least grant that the things that we dwell on affect us, impact us, that they have a cost, or a benefit. What about um, dreams? Have you ever had a terrible dream where somebody in your dream, somebody that you love has done something awful to you in your dream? And you wake up and you're mad at them. And it takes you like maybe a minute, maybe an hour, maybe a day, maybe a week to really get over what that person did to you. Have any of you experienced this before? Okay, we've got a few hands out there. Now, this seems crazy, right? We, we know that it didn't happen. We, we know it. We know it was just a dream, and yet we dwelt on it, even in our sleep. And what? It has an effect on us. And so the things that you read, you can read stories that are about terrible things that people have done. Uh, you can you can find uh, I'm sure you can find on Reddit or various other places um, whole groups that are just devoted to talking about how their husbands or their wives wronged them 
right? And you may have a great relationship. You go on there and you spend a few hours reading and think that that's not going to affect your relationship with your husband or wife? You're crazy. You're going to be paranoid. You're going to begin to wonder, I wonder if that's possible. I mean, all those people surely thought it wasn't possible. I guess it is possible. Start thinking about that. Is that going to be good for you? Nope. It's going to be bad for you. How about movies? How about movies? One of, one of the movies that I have most hated in my life is Walk the Line. Oh, that's a great movie. Probably all of you are like, wait a minute, how could you hate Walk the Line? I mean, it's like, it's about Johnny Cash. Great, great movie. I hated that movie. You know why I hated that movie? I hated that movie because of how good it was at making me think and feel a certain way. A wicked way. Never in my life have I more desired somebody to commit adultery than when I was watching that movie. Because his relationship with his first wife was awful. You just want him to get out from underneath that and to have somebody in his life that, that he loves and that loves him. Wouldn't it just be so wonderful if he could just commit adultery? Wouldn't that be good? That would be good, wouldn't it? Oh, and indeed, it was good. He did it. It was wonderful. His life was so much better for it. How terrible is that? Is that really how we want to learn to think? Is that what we want to be taught? Movies affect you. The things that you dwell on affect you. Now here, I'm, you know, I've spent all this time just trying to make the case that you must remember the things you dwell on have an impact. You cannot pretend as though the things that you're thinking about and dwelling on are just, you somehow or another, you're going to take every thought captive, right? I'm going to take every thought captive by watching the latest Quentin Tarantino film and trying to find the good in it. No, that's not taking every thought captive. I'm sorry. It's bad for you. And so what we come to in this passage is this list, this list, this command that you are to think about things like this. Instead of bad things, think about good things. Instead of dwelling on bad things, dwell on good things. And it really can be summed up that simply. But of course, there's much more depth to it than just bad and good. The first is to dwell on truth. True things. Why? Because dwelling on falsehood will cause you to believe false things. 
And believing false things leads to bad action. Some of you have heard the phrase, truth is in order to goodness. It's a kind of old phrasing in English, hard to understand, but the point of it is simply that truth leads towards something. It has a purpose. It it directs you to goodness, to good action. We've seen this over and over again, not so much in Philippians, but in earlier books that we've studied, the connection between belief and action. Truth is in order to goodness. Now, what sorts of true things should you believe? Well, with this list, there's going to be, there's going to be a, a theme that we'll see, and that theme is that our thoughts start, good thoughts start with God. Good thoughts start with God. And so believing true things means believing true things about God. You remember the, the parable of the wicked servant that thought that God was a harsh taskmaster and that false belief led to badness, right? But if you simply believe true things about God, it will help you. What about believing true things about one another? You say, well, things start to get complicated there, Joseph, because there's an awful lot of bad true things, you know, painful true things in thinking about one another. Like, it's true that my wife is a sinner. Am I supposed to dwell on that? Yes. Yes. In an appropriate way, right? You are to dwell on true things. Now, of course, we understand that there are ways of pretending as though that is not true and how unhelpful that would be. We also know that there are ways of dwelling on it inappropriately clearly condemned here in this passage. What do we do with the truth and recognizing that there are bad things in this world? What do we do with those all that stuff that the Facebook moderators have to deal with? Well... We don't dwell on it in a way that we don't need to. We simply don't deny it, right? If you're going to, if you're going to help somebody who's caught in sin, 
One of the things that we're warned is that we're to uh, do it with gentleness so that we ourselves are not also caught in sin. So one of the things we learn is that in dealing with people and recognizing that they are in sin and that they are caught in sin, there is a danger to us in dwelling on things that we shouldn't dwell on about it, right? What are we supposed to dwell on? Honorable things. Honorable things, as opposed to dishonorable, right? What sorts of things are honorable? Well, again, God is honorable, worthy of honor, right? But also, knowing that your husband is a sinner... And knowing that there are things that are honorable about him, dwell on the honorable. I don't have time to expound deeply on each of these words. Remember, they are largely... uh, a group of synonyms trying to get you to sort of expand your thinking. Instead of just saying, think about good things, he, he, uses, he uses some categories and some synonyms to try to push your thinking and, and to, to help you be creative about things that you can spend your time thinking on and dwelling on. Things that are right. Now, in this case, right could also be translated just, just, righteous, justice. It's very easy for us to talk, to to think uh, all the times and all the ways that we have been wronged, that people have been unjust to us, right? But dwell on things that are just. Dwell on things that are pure, as opposed to impure. What is impure? Pornography is impure. Dwell on things that are pure. Dwell on things that are lovely. What does lovely mean? Beautiful, pleasing, agreeable. As opposed to things that are ugly. What are things that are ugly? The UFC is ugly. It's ugly to watch people bashing each other's faces. It's ugly. Is there a point to fighting? Is there a point to learning to fight? Absolutely. I'm not a pacifist. Okay. Is there skill involved in this work? Yes. But you know what? Fighting is not entertainment. You think about people who 
<clears throat> went out to watch the executions as their entertainment in France during the Revolution, or if you, I mean, throughout history, this has been something that people would do. And you realize there's something perverse going on there, isn't there? Why would people go to the gladiator shows and and watch people be murdered and eaten? That shouldn't be entertaining to us. That's not something that is lovely, is it? Dwell on things that are lovely. Dwell on things that are of good repute. You could also translate that commendable. Commendable. Something that has a good reputation is something that you can commend to somebody else. As opposed to things that have a bad character that you can't commend, that you can't recommend. You think about this in your movies, that you, you're like, oh yeah, I watched such and such. I'm not sure I can commend that to you. I'm not sure I can recommend that to you because there was stuff in it that was not commendable, right? It, it wasn't really of good repute. Things of excellence. The excellence here is, has the connotation of moral, moral excellence. Now, this is worth noting simply because we have such an absurd obsession with the word excellence today. Uh, we are not talking about excellence as most people think of it. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but I want you to realize we're talking about moral excellence here. All right? What else are we to dwell on? Things that are worthy of praise. Now, praise is connected to fame. Fame-worthy things. Now, there's all sorts of things that have fame that are lifted up in our culture to to observation for everybody to see because look at this, right? But what are you holding up in your own mind to look at and holding up for other people to look at? Remember, we're starting with the first thing here being God is the one who's fulfilling all of these perfectly, right? You can commend thoughts of God that are true and of his beauty as being worthy of fame. You know, he is worthy of praise. He is excellent. He is to be honored and lifted up. And there are other things that are to be condemned and to be hidden. We are to cover over and hide nakedness, right? 
As a matter of fact, early in the Bible, we read of the difference between the sons that covered their father's nakedness and the one that mocked and laughed at it. And he was cursed. Now, I'm out of time. I'm long past time. But what does it mean to dwell on these things? You're going to have to remember them to start with. (laughs) You have to have a memory of good things in order to dwell on the good things. Right? And so if you feel like you're caught in, in bad thoughts, in bad memories, in dwelling on evil things, in dwelling on what is bad instead of on what is good, and you think, okay, I know, I remember I'm supposed to dwell on these good things instead, and you, and you feel like, what are they? I can't think of anything. I'm stuck. I don't know where to start. I don't, I, I'm caught. I keep, I keep getting back to that bad. Remember that God is first in the list. Dwell on Him, dwell on His character, dwell on His works. And that will give you, that will give you a, a road straight into this whole list. You understand? You'll, you'll be filled with thoughts on the good, the pure, the beautiful, the true. Things that are worthy of praise. Because you'll remember what God has done. And then you'll, you'll, have, you'll realize, oh yeah, remember God has provided for me? God has protected for me? Me, you'll have things to give thanks for as well. You'll realize that his works have affected you. His goodness affects you. His love, his patience affects you. And when you begin to dwell on these things, then you will begin to take them into account in your actions. They will flow out into good actions. And you will push out evil thoughts. And it will be sweet and good for you. The world has a false conception of this. On the one hand, the om of emptiness. And on the other hand, another false conception is the lying of everybody's good. Everybody means well. I'm great all the time. Christianity doesn't leave you with either of those. It pushes out those thoughts that are wicked and perverse, and it replaces them, not with emptiness and not with lies, but with true goodness. And it bears fruit in a, in a life that has peace and rejoicing 
and thanksgiving. Let's pray.